by Rebecca Spencer. from almost the halfway line. Hello, welcome to N17 Women, the only podcast about Tottenham Hotspur women's team. My name is Rachel, I'm your host for today, and we've got a lot to talk about. Our Spurs played Manchester United at home in the WSL on the weekend. Um, with me to talk about that game and all of the controversies and aftermath from it are my co-hosts, uh, Sean, Abby and Caroline. How are you all doing? Doing all right. <laughs> It's an interesting question today, isn't it? It's Uh, been a week. (laughs) I think we're all laughing because literally right before we recorded, we had some news from the FA, which we are going to get to later when we talk about this game. But let's start at the start of the game, thinking about the lineup. The lineup this week was unchanged from the WSL game against Chelsea last Sunday. We saw Tinny Corpella in goal. She seems to have become our preferred goalkeeper. We had a three across the back with um, Shalina Zadorsky on the left, Molly Bartrip in the middle, and Amy Turner on the right. Celine Bizet and Terrace Harrop both started as wingbacks with Drew Spence and Evelina Sumanum in centre midfield, Manuera Bucci, Ashton Dashley Neville on the sort of wings and Bethany England up front. On the bench, we had Spencer, Nikki Karcheska, Azmita Ale, Angara James, Chiomo Bugaga and Rodella Ayan. So still no Jessica Naz, no sign of any other long-term absentees and the first indication that Cho Soyeon is also now injured. As this was for the first time an unchanged lineup for two consecutive games, it perhaps suggests that we are starting to see a little bit of stability, at least in the sort of starting 11 players. Anyone have any thoughts about it? Were you surprised or pretty unsurprised? I think fairly unsurprised, as you say, the same as the last game and I think what we've been kind of aiming towards is our starting 11 for a while um, only concern again was with Keris playing again after we've seen her not play so well against the better sides recently we can talk more about that later but apart from that I was fully expecting that lineup really yeah that just about sums it up yeah I think the only change I would have been interested in seeing was perhaps Asmita uh, coming into the lineup place of Keris but I think we're going to talk a little bit about her later on, so I'll save it. (laughs) Yeah, and I think also, I mean, this is certainly maybe the lineup that is going to be played against the top four teams. It remains to be seen where we move back to a back four against other teams. Okay, so the first half got off to, uh, got off to underway. There was an offside goal from Leah Galton from a Manchester United free kick. And we saw a beautiful bit of work from Ashley Neville, who got hold of a loose ball, brought it upfield and played in Bethany England, simultaneously cutting out four Manchester United players with a lovely reverse ball. England shot just over. But other than that, and a few other little nice moments, there probably weren't a lot of incidents in the first half. How were you feeling going into the break? I felt good. You know, I felt like we had held our own. Um, You know, United had chances, but so did we. 
I think the difference was just that our decision-making was not always as good and the attacking third, but, you know, going scoreless into halftime, I felt like we couldn't realistically complain about that. Yeah. There were those two moments. I think I remember in particularly on counterattacks where someone made the wrong choice about who to pass to when we were, things were looking pretty promising. I noticed that that Ash pass was, was so good. It was just so good. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I think um, I think we saw Ash coming coming back now from we know she's not been at her best before her suspension and and subsequently. But I think that game she really started to be that Ash that we know and love again. And we mentioned Karis Harrop, and I, she's to me seemed to have a better game against Manchester United. But I think a lot of that was because Ash had a better game and was covering her a lot. And there was I had Man United fans sat next to me we were sort of that half on that side and every time Ash was a player who was the Man United players couldn't get past on that wing and they kept saying that number 29 you know we just can't get past her so Ash coming back to being a player that we know and protecting Keris and also having an, an influence in the attack so yeah first half I thought pretty good nil nil we'll take that and yes come on Ash more of that place. Yeah. And I didn't see anything like hugely concerning in the first half that made me like particularly worried about the second half. So that was good. I would also add, I think last episode, I was a little harsh on Celine about her defense. I thought she did much better in this game. She had a really huge tackle in that first half. So clearly she's taken some of the criticism on board and, you know, worked on improving that facet of her game. So kudos to her. Yeah, I thought she played well. She, I mean, she can still sometimes make a slightly rash tackle and definitely um, concedes fouls occasionally, but she's learning. As you were saying, I thought that Ash, the sort of tricks and flicks and she, all the things that you can tell she loves doing when she's got players who are high enough quality to benefit from them, she was doing. So it really did feel like, you know, vintage Ash. So end of the first half and we feeling pretty good. Spurs didn't have the same possession as Manchester United, but we certainly were in the game and had had as decent chances Second half, there were quite a lot of incidents, probably four main things that we're going to recap. So first up, there is a goal by Leah Galton, then Beth England's solo goal, Molly Bartrip's own goal and her horribly heartbreaking face. And finally, there was the red card incident for Ella Toon, which has since been rescinded and Evelina charged with simulation. So lots to get into, but let's start by talking about Leah Galton's goal. This came on 67 minutes when Onabache broke down the right. She got past Harrop. Ashley Neville tried to catch up with her, but didn't quite make it in time. She basically got to the end line and was able to put a cross into a very congested box which fell to Leah Galton who pounced on it scoring into the top right corner what were your thoughts about this goal and why it happened well it's not the first time we've seen uh Paris get beat on the wing I did think she had a really good first half that's kind of just going to happen if you choose to play her there and I think teams are starting to target her there and I think we saw that twice today for both the goals there was a lot of chaos in the box there and Celine kind of lost sight of it for a moment right and it's like that is gonna happen like she's still learning defensive attributes I think but I also feel that that could have happened to anyone well I think it's Also important to note that Leah Galton was having a really good game in general. You know, this goal had a feeling of inevitability about it to me. So like you said, it it could have happened to any of our our players, you know, losing their mark when it's a player of that caliber. 
that I think just we seem to be conceding the same type of goal over and over. So at some point, we do need to see some improvement there with everyone having a clear idea of their responsibility in defense, who they're marking, covering for each other. If for some reason you lose your mark, someone else needs to be there to pick them up. So that's obviously something they need to be working on in training because we've seen this type of goal conceded over and over again. Yeah. And it's like, I was watching Celine as that was happening and like to her credit, she had like one hand on Leah Galton the entire time. And she just like, didn't know where the ball was. So it was like halfway there. Maybe you could call it an improvement because in the past we've seen players unmarked waltzing into our box left and right. But I think like it was still a little bit of a, like a team defense error after the ball got put in. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I this may be more of an issue with the second goal, but it is a question about our back three and how well it's working, perhaps, and whether they seem to be organised in terms of who is going out to the wings to double up, who is going forward and who is staying back. And somehow it seems that perhaps having more players in um you know, playing in the centre back positions is more complicated and it's less clear sometimes whose responsibility it is to do things. So on the one hand, it has been relatively successful against Chelsea and Manchester United, but it I wonder whether given the problems we've had with organization and coordination up to now, this has made it worse. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I also find myself wondering, well, actually it was like 20 minutes later when Celine came off for Rosella that made me wonder this is, you know, so so we think of Celine as an attacker and Ash is all purpose, but she is quite a good defender. So I just wonder if you swap the two of them, whether that doesn't happen, maybe other stuff would go wrong, but I do think if Ash is there instead of Celine, that goal doesn't happen. And that's, that's more like a a plus on Ash rather than a knock on Celine. It really made me wonder, like, I know we've seen a lot of good stuff from Celine at wingback that, and we've been like pretty complimentary of that, but I'm simply just wondering whether it might be nice to see the same 11, but with those two playing in the opposite position. But the, the danger there is, and we'll come to the uh, the second goal later, I guess, is what happened in the second goal, which was after Ash had been moved to the other side. So away from Keris and the goal went down the other side. Ash can't be in both places at once. Um, we can't be saying we need Ash at right back and at left back. So we've got, <laughs> we've got to find some way of managing with Ash I mean- only on one side. I think that's a good point, but that also did happen to Karis on the first goal. So I feel like it's not even that much of a mitigating factor because like it all it takes is one time, you know, and Ash was doing super well there. But that 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 one time they managed to isolate Karis, hit us in the back, you know, because I think that might be more of an issue of having three at the back and wing backs Mm. is that, you know, you're asking Karis to get up more. So then she's going to get beaten more by players who are, you know, taking her on, which means that whoever is playing on her side, so the left-sided centre-back, is going to have to go out more often. And I wondered about that. You know, why is it the solution for the the attack, you know, the winger to come back? Sometimes it's got to be the other way. And I'm not sure that that is yet figured out in terms of how you cover. That's a really good point as well. And it made me try to remember when we were playing a back three last year, didn't we often see Harris as the left sided center back, not as the wing back? Yeah, that was more often what we saw. She has historically been a center back She's and um, who could play at left back. And since she's been at Spurs, she's been kind of trained into the left back slash less wing back role, which is an interesting choice, as we said, I think, before, given 
her age and um and I know she's she told us she feels fitter than she ever has before, but she is of an age and she is not the most athletic of players in the first place. So it's an interesting call to be making her at the wing back in that situation, particularly with the number of games we're playing at the moment and the intensity of games we're playing at the moment. And I think that speaks to your point, Abby, about Celine, you know, the same kind of thing, wanting to play her in the position that is most suited to her, her actual skills and limitations at the same time. So, yeah, I agree. And I agree with some of the things I think Sean was saying earlier, or it might be Caroline, that Paris had a good game a lot of the time. She was, I thought she kept, especially Nikita Paris in the first half, really quiet. And that was because Nikita Paris isn't such a fast player and a lot of it is about positioning. It's, again, it's different kinds of players have obviously different, need different kinds of response. What you what you called out there about Karis's positioning, I think was really smart in this game because there were quite a few times when she forced a really poor shot from one of the United wingers. Paris, I know, had had an instance and also Ella Toon later in the game. So I think that's what we want to see from Karis is if she's not the fastest player, how can she use her her proactive positioning to cut off those attacks before they really begin? Yeah, agreed. So the good news for Spurs was that less than 10 minutes after that, we equalised with a magnificent solo goal after a quickly taken free kick from Manaru Abuchi, who was in our own half when she took it and found Beth England on pretty much the halfway line on the left-hand side. Beth then ran the rest of the pitch and scored just a glorious goal with attackers and goalkeeper coming on her sorry coming forward it was a wonderful thing it kind of the whole stadium erupted it was just a really fantastic moment it's a shame we couldn't um, retain that joy for longer but let's have a little bit of a delve into why it was so good here well it's not the first time is it we've had a a really good result from a quick free kick I think we we seem to when we do that we we get a good response Ash has done it or indicated to others to do it before and this time Mana was quite on it saw the opportunity and and Beth ran. I did think it was quite interesting that Rosella was calling for the ball. She was in. The, she was actually getting up in the box, although ran closer to to Beth rather than trying to get in a position to score. She was obviously looking for a playoff, but Beth knew better than that. And I mean, to be honest with you, didn't look like the shot was hugely on, but it it went in. So um, I mean, you know, all credit to her for a, you know a great shot, a great run, and a great shot, and doing what she's come to Spurs to do, and what we hope that she will continue to do. I think it's probably fair to say that this was Beth's first real statement goal since she's joined the club. And yeah, like you said, just a huge indicator of her ability and the kind of difference maker she can be. I I have absolutely no problem with her ignoring Roz and deciding to take that shot on her own. I guess it could be nice and say that Roz was acting as decoy, but yeah, more power to her for having the the awareness that she just needed to take the shot on her own and um, you know, beat Mary Earps, who was a very good goalkeeper. Yeah, it was a great goal. I think one thing that I noticed throughout the game, but especially in that goal, like we know Beth in her own words was like, oh, I'm not the fastest player. She looked fast on that goal. And I thought we really held our own on against a pretty fit side. And I thought that was a moment where I was like, oh, good. She hasn't lost a step since coming to Spurs. That's, that's that makes me feel better. Yeah, I think you're right. I there were very few times where our players looked really beaten for speed or for stamina and strength through this game. And as you said, that is a change. It wasn't what it was looking like even 
going back to the game against Aston Villa, uh, at least the first half of that game. Just because you started the Ros discussion, the one thing I did think about Ros moving behind Bethany England was that she really was in a terrible position to get a rebound, should there be one. And it's that thing about instinct and where do you go to get the next, you know, the next opportunity. Yeah, perhaps Nikki would have been a better player to have on the pitch in that scenario for any potential rebound, because I think she really does have that innate awareness of where to be at the right time. Now there's a thought. Yeah. (laughs) Something we will definitely be coming to when we talk about substitutions made and not made. So unfortunately, all of that beautiful work from Bethany England was rapidly undone in the 77th minute when almost straight from kickoff, Manchester United got the ball to the substitute, um, Lucia Garcia, who was on for Nikita Paris. She was breaking down the right, crossed the ball into the box and Molly Bartrip, who was sliding into the area, smashed it into the goal for an own goal. Leah Galton was right behind Molly, who was probably slightly unaware of exactly how close she was and whether she was going to get to the ball. But it was one of those heartbreakers. Molly was kind of on the floor distraught and we were again a goal down. We didn't have a lot of time to celebrate before this happened. So what did you think about it all? Well, it's that the player we've seen this from before is Ash, um, who has uh, has scored own goals in the past for the same reason that the players who play with their heart on their sleeve, they want to be in there. They want to be doing everything that they can. And sometimes if you put yourself on the line like that, you make a mistake. And when you make a mistake, it's a pretty big one. I um, I mean, what I was thrilled to see after the game was that there was no, I didn't see any negativity towards Molly Bartrip on social media. The only thing I saw was love from the Spurs family. And that is absolutely correct because she, yes, she made a mistake. She got it wrong. And we were all um, as heartbroken as she was, both for her and for the team after that fantastic goal and that great high that we had just experienced. But you can see exactly, you know, looking back at the images, you can see exactly what it meant to her to have scored that and how distraught she was. And if a player is going to do that, that and that's the reaction, you know that she's one of you and you know that it, nobody is hurting more than her in that moment. So I don't think anybody wants to get on Molly's back about it. Um, we, we still love Molly Bartrip. We still want her to sign a new contract and we're hoping that she does that soon. From the game's point of view, it was disappointing. It was, we had, we'd gone ahead and there's the opportunity, you know, at that point, anything's possible the way we were playing. was still a fairly even game, I thought, and and there was that possibility. So from the point of view of the game, it was a real shame, but no ill feeling towards Molly at all. Yeah, it was like the team's fault for ending up in that situation and, you know, United putting the pressure on rather than Molly's individual fault. I think after she went down to ground like that, it's like anything can happen and sometimes the bounces are bad. Sometimes they're good. Just look at West Ham. They've been so lucky all season and we just get that. So that's cool. Yeah. And so many of the best defenders in the world have scored own goals. You know, it doesn't say anything about her as a player in the the sense of her long-term career, but I agree with Sean. I'm really glad to see that the fan base is sticking behind her and not digging her out for one mistake. Um, And it was also really nice to see Ash, you know, showing that leadership on the pitch after the final whistle and picking her up and making sure she was okay. We just got to move on from it. (laughs) Like still getting emotional just hearing you talk about that. I'm like, no. It was a nice moment from Ash. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was one of those things where it was both utterly heartbreaking and also sort of lovely to see that sense of collectivity and I think Mana was really like actually was quite far forward and came a long way back just to talk to 
Molly as well during the game, which was really nice to see, especially given how new she is and but she's got that sort of seniority and experience. So, yeah, definitely a really nice reaction from everybody else in the team. And I, I didn't think it sort of shook them that badly in terms of how people were playing. It was it's just really frustrating that there was the lack of concentration to, to have so much space. You had like this very wide open pitch at the point that the cross went in. And it was partly because Garcia had beaten Keris, but it was also because the centre-backs were all closely clustered together and there was, you know, everybody was kind of trying to do the same thing. I feel like I'm saying this every game, but that'll be a fun one for the tapes. I do think it is getting better, though. Like, I think I think it, I think that tape work is good and they'll probably come out of it better and stronger, and more organised. Okay, so after that goal, the team, you know, we carried on playing. Uh, There wasn't a radical change in either side's form, but there was then an incident in the 80th minute in which Ella Toon fouled Evelina Sumanum, knocked her over, as Sumanum fell, her legs wrapped around Ella Toon and Ella Toon fell as well. It looked from the ground and certainly from where I was sitting, which had a relatively good line of sight, like Ella Toon then pushed Evelina Sumanum down quite aggressively in retaliation. She got up, there was a whole melee and then Ella Toon got a red card and sent off. As part of what happened, Evelina Sumanum had held her hands over her face and it was suggested that the reason that Ella Toon was sent off was because she had hit her in hit Evelina in the face, and that counts as violent conduct. What happened in the aftermath of that is that we heard from Mark Skinner, the manager of Manchester United, who was very critical of Evelina, emphasizing that she was simulating and play acting. We also, however, heard from Ella Toon on social media who apologised for her actions, suggesting that there perhaps were some actions there, whatever they were and however serious they were or were not. But Manchester United appealed the red card and their appeal has been successful. A lot of their appeal was motivated by the fact that obviously Ella Toon is a key player for them. She is an England player and key for the national squad as well. And that if she was to miss three games, she would end up missing one of their games against Chelsea, which may be critical both in terms of the title, but also in terms of qualifying for Europe. So for Manchester United, a three game suspension for Ella Toon would have been serious and they appealed it successfully. The FA have said that Ella Toon will be available for Manchester United's next three games following a successful claim of wrongful dismissal. She, because she had originally been sent off for violent conduct, uh, just a little bit of information about what that comprises within the FA's rules. It is when a player uses or attempts to use excessive force or brutality against an opponent when not challenging for the ball or against a teammate, team official, match official, spectator, or any other person, regardless of whether contact is made. So it's the attempt to make contact off the ball especially there are some specific things which emphasize the that when a person not challenging for the ball deliberately strikes an opponent or any other person on the head or face with the hand or arm they are guilty of violent conduct unless the force used was negligible 
So there is a sort of extra thing that's about hitting the face. And so that's a lot of where some of the discussion since then has been. But just before we were recorded, we also got news that Evelina has been charged. And again, just to read from the statement, it says Tottenham Hotspur women's Evelina Sumanum has been charged with, quote, successful deception of a match match official, end quote, following their WSL match against Manchester United women on Sunday, 12 February. It is alleged that the midfielder committed a clear act of simulation during the 80th minute, which led to an opponent being sent off and therefore her behaviour amounts to improper conduct. So there is so much to unpack here. Let's just start with the first thing, which is when you were watching it first time off, did you think it was a red card? And I'm just holding my hands up and saying I was in the stadium from where I was sitting. I thought it was a red. I wouldn't have been surprised if it was a yellow, but I thought it was a red. Yeah, that's how I felt as well. I think like the one that comes to mind is not in the women's game, but Sun getting sent off against Bournemouth three years ago or so for pushing Lerma. It was the same push. I mean, they were on the ground already, so he didn't fall as far or she didn't fall as far or as dramatically, but same push. That was a red. I don't see it all the time. Sometimes I see that a yellow and it could have gone either way. But for me, I see no reason for that not to be red. Yeah, you've got a player on the ground and somebody else is lashing out at them. There's there was no further attempt to contact from Evelina. Yes, there was some tangling of legs and there might be an argument about intent from Evelina in that situation, but she was fouled and she was coming, to, she was falling down. You cannot, as a player, raise your hands to somebody, particularly when they're on the floor. That's just, you know, and again, I, I would have been happy with a red. I would have understood a yellow, but it was certainly should have been punished because she was lashing out against the player who was on the floor and and that's just not acceptable. Yeah, exactly. Evelina's in this vulnerable position and I immediately thought it was a red when it happened. I didn't even need to see the replay because it was very clear to me that Ella Toon had made contact. And, you know, I, I know you read that statement from the rule book where it specifies that uh, contact to the head is like a separate, more egregious offense. You know, we know from the replay she didn't hit Evelina's face, so that doesn't come into play. But the previous part of the rule states that even if contact isn't made, it's just the attempt that is the infraction. And and she did make contact. So I don't see how this got overturned when she very clearly shoved her down to the ground when she was already down on the floor. And it's I, I feel very heated about this because I think... You know, you don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it genuinely feels like the FA has made this decision because of the pressure, primarily from the United fan base. And the fact that this is, you know, one of their key players, a star for the England national team. I don't think this happens if it was the other way around. Right. And like players do that basically once a game. I swear almost every game I've watched this season and I am being hyperbolic. So like, don't don't come at me saying that, oh, no, not every game. But in almost every game I've watched, a player goes to ground and puts their hands on their face, not just our players, everyone's players, when they haven't been hit in the face. it's This is ridiculous. Yeah. Players hold their face when they haven't been hit in the face. They hold their leg. They writhe. They, they do it to waste time. They do it to win a penalty. They do it to get a free kick. Sometimes the ref gives these things, sometimes they don't. We know that occasionally, very, very occasionally, players get a yellow card for simulation, usually when they're trying to win a penalty. 
but that is incredibly rare. I honestly don't think I've ever seen one of those in the women's game. So why this particular incident is somehow so egregious? And I guess we've jumped ahead to sort of Evelina and simulation. And was she simulating? Do we, do I care? Like, quite honestly, I'm someone, I grew up loving Italian football. I love their time wasting. I love the ways in which players try and, you know, win a game. Okay, we can say that some of it, it, you know, people don't like that, that's fine. But until and unless it completely ends in the game, you can't punish occasional instances of it. Right. And like, people dive because they're not protected by the rules. And so if you don't want people to dive, you need to start calling fouls when people don't go to ground. It was not clear to me from the replay that Evelina was like holding her face so much as she had her hands over the her face. But that's like, it's kind of immaterial. I just think I've heard so much for years, like literally decades of like, oh, the men roll around like pansies. Thank God we don't have that in the women's game. The women are so much stronger and like have bigger balls than the men. And it's like, it's a ridiculous line of commentary because it's it's just based in all these like weird gender roles and gender norms and aspirations and like I am not the only person to say this so far in the like two hours this news has been broken but I couldn't help but wonder whether like part of the reason this has turned into an entire investigation is because people are like oh like we got to get diving out of the women's game because the women's game should be morally upstanding and pure and this that and the other thing and like diving that you know that's for these like horrible dramatic men and we got to stamp it out and stuff like that and it's like I could maybe see if the ref had called it in the moment we'd be like mad about it but we wouldn't be like having an entire discussion for them to open an investigation is like comical i'm over here laughing i don't know what to say it it just feels like a double standard to me that this rule is being applied differently in the women's game than it ever is in the men's game and honestly from reading the statement um about evelina's charge it just feels like the fa is saying she asked for this contact and therefore it doesn't matter that elatune struck her that like it just somehow doesn't count now because Evelina was supposedly drawing the contact. And I just think that is, well, I don't want to curse, but it's nonsense. I mean, I think you, you can argue that Evelina made the most of it. Um, the rolling around on the ground was a little bit over the top, but not more than anything we've ever seen from other people. And as Abby said, if you'd given Evelina a yellow card in the moment, it wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah, I mean, over the top reaction maybe from the referee in that situation, but she is. there is a little bit of simulation going on. But as we've said, let's take this in the context of simulation throughout the game. It wasn't extreme. Um, there was contact from the other player. It wasn't like she was saying they, they touched me when they didn't touch her at all. There was contact. And I think for Evelina to potentially be in the situation of being punished in that situation that Ella Toon has walked away with nothing is completely crazy. Yes, you you could argue a yellow card for Evelina if you were being harsh, but you cannot say that Ella Toon deserves nothing in that situation. At the very least, she deserved the yellow card. As we've said, we probably would have stuck with the red, but you know she should have walked away from that situation with something. And if given that she's not, the suggestion that Evelina should walk away with some sort of punishment is ludicrous. And I think what you just said reminds me of another thing. I think it was Flo Lloyd Hughes who tweeted something about refing in this situation. And it's like, yeah, whatever decision is made on the field, unless it's like an egregious error, like 
they should probably stand by their officials because we're having enough trouble with officials in the women's game anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, Abby, Beth England gave an interview after the game in which she said she felt like the ref had let the game get out of control. And I think that's a common feeling across the WSL and also in the cup competitions. You know, I think it was just last week we saw the game between Manchester City and Arsenal. Leah Williamson clocked Lauren Hemp in the face very blatantly with her elbow. And somehow that incident did not rise to the standard of needing an investigation. So you've got two issues here, which is that the referees are not applying the rules consistently within games. And then you have the issue of the FA basically intervening in situations where it's convenient for them to intervene, as in this case, rescuing a star lioness from a three-game suspension right ahead of an important game for United. I don't think it's unrealistic to point this out and say that there's some some gamesmanship going on from the FA. There's also, you know, that what's the implication going forward now? If somebody's on the floor and you you make any kind of attempt at contacting them, you're not going to be punished for it? If any player goes down and some other player decides to give them a quick back heel, is that all right now? What is the rules? The rules are the rules and they should be applied across the board. And we, we run the risk of then actually more trouble brewing from this because, well, that got overturned. So that's all right. We can go and do that in our next game because the ref won't there give it because it got overturned by the last ref. And I do think the remark about, you know, if you want to improve your referees, we, we all know that the, the quality of refereeing across the league can do with improvement. But the way you do that is not by making rash judgments about the decisions the referees have made. If they've made a clear and obvious mistake, absolutely come out and say it and change it. But in a situation where they have, where, you know, it could have gone either way, you need to be backing your refs to make sure that they know when they're getting it right and when they're not and when they can apply the rules and when they can't. Absolutely right. All of what you guys have said. But it's also, as you were saying, Caroline, it was a game in which there were lots of quite big incidents that didn't get punished. So we saw Rousseau going in with her knee into Drew Spencer's crotch. Both ended up in the ground. Rousseau got that kick. There was Manaro Bucci going over the top of a Manchester United player and having nothing. There was earlier an incident between Avelina, which she was totally fouling. She was like in a sort of tactical foul, grabbing the shirt of, of Hayley Ladd. And Hayley Ladd lashed out at her. And then Drew Spence got involved, and but none of that got punished in any way. So there was stuff going on, and Evelina was part of that as well, and she'd been hit at previously and didn't respond. So maybe also the ways in which you then respond gets bigger because the referee isn't giving anything. And so you need to writhe around in pain in order to get any kind of response from a referee. But also at the same time, If the referee had made an on-pitch decision, which is incorrect, then that's down to the referee. And however you want to punish or not punish, give them games or not giving them games, that's about the referee. To say that somebody gets punished afterwards, like Evelina is now under investigation for, because they were successful in tricking a referee, like, that's totally crazy. Like, if she was unsuccessful and she'd writhed around in pain, but the referee had just gone, no, stop it then she'd have no, there'd be no repercussions. She would not be under investigation. And that difference makes no sense because that's not about the player. That's about the referee. Right. It reminds me of the discussion around like, 
in like if a goal is ruled off for offside and then a foul like happens after it, the foul can't get called even if like you break the player's leg. It's all this like after the fact stuff that is so weird. I just hope Evelina has a good sense of humor because I think this is this is wild and ludicrous, as Sean said. I am laughing at it and I just hope she's laughing at it too. And I hope that she's laundering the mud out of her shirt so that she can get them dirty next time. You you have to laugh in order not to cry at the injustice. (laughs) And I guess it's worth it's worth just saying here, Evelina has a great game. This was one of Evelina's good games where she was getting stuck in. She was, you know, we've said previously she doesn't always make good passes. She was making some really nice passes. I saw her do one sort of um, crossfield ball to, it might have been to Manor, I think, that was just really nice. And she was muddy. We've always said we like a muddy Evelina. She was getting stuck in in the good way and that she was at both ends. So I just wanted to highlight that she is a player who was playing well and also will be missed if there is any kind of suspension. I also think it's it's interesting that I've looked across social media, nobody understands this this situation. There are people on either side of the tune debate. Was it a yellow card? Was it a red card? Most people think it was something, but there are mixed feelings but I haven't seen anybody who understands why the FA is, is investigating Evelina including Arsenal fans so I'm mean, apart from maybe Man United fans who were biased because of their team's involvement um, but I haven't seen anybody else who thinks even that the notion is uh, logical or sensible it does seem to be the FA suddenly making a decision that women's football needs to be held to a different standard and which is not what we want we yes we want to stop the level of simulation that you get in the men's game, but not uh, to the point that somebody who was doing very little wrong, if anything at all, gets punished when the person who has admitted to, you know, pushing and shoving isn't getting anything. Well, exactly. That her simulation was not the most serious offense happening in this scenario. I, I think it was smart of you, Rachel, to point out those other incidents that had happened previously in the game. Because I think that's really the point that Beth England was trying to make in her post-game interview, that when you let those infractions go, it escalates to the point of a, an incident like Ella Toon shoving Evelina onto the ground. And it's just unfortunate that the FA has decided this is the line in the sand that they want to draw to say that Ella Toon's behavior was okay. Because I don't see how, as a player, you don't interpret that as, well, it's just a free-for-all out there and I have to do whatever I can to get the advantage. It becomes just a, a Wild West out there. <laughs> so I think we are agreed that we disagree with the FA. We are not happy about it. It seems ridiculous. You know, at the moment, Evelina's just been charged. So hopefully the club will make a good case and it will lead to nothing. But I do think it's it, the ridiculousness of this and the two different thing, the two different press releases that the FA have um, put out today highlight some real issues in the game and also uh, potentially about the position of Spurs and the ways in which we are effectively or not effectively using the media to present what's happened in games because there has clearly been a big media campaign about this in the aftermath and I haven't heard a lot of Spurs saying much to support Evelina? Well, I think the problem is that they're probably not allowed to at this point. Um, there's an investigation, so they've got to. But I think uh, from our perspective, as Spurs fans, we can say, Evelina, we're fully behind you and we love you and keep doing what you're doing because 
we enjoy it and hopefully you know we won't see too much brought upon you but and certainly the fans won't be happy and I'm sure behind the scenes that everybody at the club is fighting Evelina's corner. It's worth noting that Evelina is currently the Spurs player who's both committed the most fouls and also been fouled the most so she is the player who is on both the receiving and the perpetrating end of fouls And I think she's likely to very quickly become our own uh, Katie McCabe kind of player in that a player that fans love and opposition fans hate. But, you know, it's nice to have one of those, I'd say. We got a couple. (laughs) We'll say that. (laughs) Okay, so I think the other big issue to talk about from this game is substitutions. On 69 minutes, Rianne Skinner brought on Rosella Ayan for Celine Bizet. This did not lead to any change in shape, but simply that Ash moved from left side of attack to right wing back. So Ash took the place that Celine was in and Rosella went into Ash's position within the front three alongside Beth and Manor. Then after the red card when Manchester United were down to 10 players Rianne brought on Angered James for Amy Turner which meant a move to a back four with two defensive midfielders Angered playing alongside Evelina what do you think about the substitutions I guess either that she did make or perhaps more interestingly that she didn't make and for example the fact that we didn't see Nikki in this game have despite her coming on for the 20 minutes against Chelsea and scoring I have to confess that during the first half, my only niggle was there was a couple of occasions where if we'd had Nikki on the pitch, maybe we would have seen the ball in the back of the net a bit earlier on. There was a couple of times, I think it was a time when Beth England got across into the box. There just wasn't anybody there to to finish it. And you kind of think in that position, Nikki would have been the player to be there. So yeah, and given how well she played uh, against Chelsea, and I would have liked to see her have some time. And just generally, I think Ros has been given a lot of time this season hasn't done as much with it as she might have done. Give Nikki a shout. You know, she's got, we've got to see how well Nikki can play in these big games. Yes, we're still well into the season, but also as a manager at this point in the season, you've got to have half a mind on the players who've got contracts um, coming to an end, the players who you're looking, you know, the positions that you're looking to to fill in the, in the summer. And if you're not giving all the players a chance to see how they can do, we don't know if Nikki can fill those shoes by herself or if she's going to need some you know, additional support in that. We know what Ros can do from this season. She's been given plenty of opportunity. Let's see a little bit more Nikki and see what she can do. And testing against Man United in a game where we were doing pretty well, I think, would have been a good opportunity to really put her up against the best of it. Well, and I, I was just frustrated when Angrad came in instead of Nikki because this was a, a point in the game when we had the player advantage, you know, United were down to 10. This is the time when we should have been really actively chasing the game, if nothing else, just to get a point. And Nikki has shown herself to be really adept at finding space in the box. And when she was already going to have additional space to work with from United being a player down, I, I just don't see how Rianne didn't feel like this was the time to bring her in, especially since she had such a great cameo in the Chelsea game, which which is a big team. She has proven that she can play up against those top players and those top defenses. So very frustrating from my perspective. Yeah. And I think the other thing, especially about the Celine for Raw substitution is like Celine 
in my mind, and I'm extrapolating here, Celine looked like she thought she was at fault for that goal and was immediately yanked. And it didn't look like it felt very nice. And I just thought it was, it it was odd. At first I was like, oh yeah, like we're changing formation. Like that makes sense. Like she'll know it's like not because she conceded the goal, but I still was kind of like, it was an interesting sub for sure. I sometimes wonder if Rianne continues to churn to Rosella so often because she's a player who's been with the team longer than say Celine or Nikki. And perhaps she feels like she knows what she's getting out of her which let's be honest, is not always much. <laughs> but that's that's really the only explanation that I can see sometimes. We have seen Roz with Drew and Beth coming in of the Villa game. We did see some promise in that. We did see like there might be something there, but subsequently again, there hasn't been. And I think this game, again, she didn't, she didn't show what we would have liked to see from her. So again, it's another game where she's come in and there's going to be people on her back again. I mean, I think unfortunately she was playing down the wing that I was sitting on and that just led to me swearing quite frequently, mostly under my breath about her not getting to the ball or just slightly touching it out. And obviously all of our players do that sometimes, but it for some reason it feels like that is more of what she does for me, though, in some ways, that was less egregious. For me, it was bringing on Angerad instead of Nikki was absolutely ridiculous. And I like Angerad. I think she's a good player. And I'm not against going to, uh, you know, a 4-4-2. I don't even mind if they'd have moved some other players around. But it seemed absolutely ridiculous not to bring Nikki on. I kept on staring to see whether she was warming up, looking along the line, looking to see what was going on, just muttering to my partner, where is Nikki? Why is she not warming up? up why are we not bringing her on it really seemed like we weren't being adventurous at that time we weren't trying to get at least the draw and the thing that I had a problem with with Celine's substitution was actually just bringing Ash back because I thought she was doing a good job she was creative going forward and bringing her back not putting Nikki on it felt like we were not pushing forward to the extent that we should be and that is really really frustrating I thought that Manchester United were the better team probably, but that we could easily have got the draw and potentially more. And when they were down to 10 players and they were feeling a little bit chaotic, that's when you bring on chaos. And we know Nikki is chaos. She is difficult. She's complicated. She does things that teams don't expect. And that was really where my sort of tolerance of Rianne's substitutions ran out. And unless we find out that she is properly so ill that she couldn't, and you know hobble onto the pitch and I saw her warming up so I don't think that is the case I don't understand the reason for it because even a half fit Nikki gets in people's faces and has really great ball control and can do things so it just makes so not so little sense to me and just I'm just going to throw this in here as an extra just rant about the final part of the game is we got that corner right in the final minutes and Angered played it short to Roz who took a kick from distance and everybody was up everybody was in the box And it was like the final chance of the game. And do you put the final chance of your game in Rosa's hands for a shot from distance, which I have never, ever, not even never seen her score, but I've never even seen her come close from distance because her shot is not strong. It's like the goalkeeper always has enough time to position because she doesn't have a very fast and strong shot. And rather than just like, you know, I feel like very traditional, like get it in the mixer, do something like, and again, if it had been Nikki on, we'd have an extra player in the box for the chaos of the back corner. 
anyway, that's my rant about the final part of the game. Yeah, I don't even think the the short corner strategy could work potentially, but you're right. Like, why was Rosella the one making that that shot slash cross into the box? It just didn't make sense. Yeah, we saw it work with Molly. And I, if it was Molly doing it, she's got a pretty, you know, she's got a decent kick on her. Terrace as well. You know, there are players, even defensive players who would be running onto it, who I could imagine being able to do it. Ash as well has scored from distance. Ross has never, as far as I'm aware, ever scored from distance. If she has, I'm pretty sure it was like she meant it as a cross and it like just happened to float into the corner. It was not like an intentional thing. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know, man. And poor Tinny had come all the way up the pitch to be ready for a header and yep, didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're sending your goalkeeper in, like don't play it short. That's just asking for trouble. All it takes is Roz getting dispossessed and then suddenly they're back and like Tinny has to do a full field sprint. Like what what are you doing? We have, we have, I'm pretty sure it was us, but it could have been somebody else done that in the past and used the goalkeeper as a deterrent, as a, as a a distraction. And it works because everybody suddenly goes, all the keepers coming up, it must be going for the keeper. And it can work in that, you know, that scenario can work. And at that moment in time where you, you want to get the goal, you're willing to put the, the the risk of losing by two rather than by one on the line for maybe getting an equaliser. I can absolutely see it. But yeah, when you've got different personnel, maybe. I think the other thing that I am wondering, I can't even remember if I've said this on the pod today or not, but where is, is Mita? Like, is she hurt? Like, what's going on there? Because we sure could have used her. And she was really, she was one of our better players in the first half of the season, even against big teams. I remember a few pods where the whole team played horribly and we were like, but Ismita did all right. She did pretty well. Good, in fact. And I just don't understand not using her passing and her solid defense in a game like this. I don't know why we haven't seen her in a few games and it just makes me really worried that we're going to lose a promising young player who by like she has every chance of making it into the England squad in the next few years I'm worried we're going to lose a player to another team because we're not giving her enough minutes I agree because we could have moved you know when Celine came off if you want to bring Celine off great bring Azmita on Azmita can take the role that Celine had she's good at getting forward and at the same time we can keep Ash in front yeah, this is where I'm starting to kind of lose patience with Rianne because I think this player in particular is one that she's really not managing well. Um, and it's with her contract being up at the end of the season, that's got to be a huge concern to anyone who cares about this team's future. You know, these are the kind of, she's the kind of player that we want to be developing, nurturing, ensuring that she feels like she's an important part of the team. And, and even beyond that, I think just the impact that she has when she plays is has really been missed. You know, she's one of our best passers. I think she brings a little bit of creativity even to the side that we have lacked for large portions of the season. So it's a baffling one. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, again, we have to, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They don't give us very much information about that. There could be reasons. Um, but yes, we would like to, we would like to see. And again, in a similar situation in terms of when you're looking at contracts coming to an end, even if you're undecided about a player, then give them the chance to, to show what you can do. We've seen that Keris has had issues. And particularly, you know, even if you're only going to bring Asmita on for half an hour at the end of the game because Keris is getting tired, why are we not looking at those kind of options and, and giving rather than some of the options that we are are taking you know we've got plenty of 
substitutions that we can make. But yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? When And the club give us so little information about what's going on with injuries and all those kind of things. We are left guessing a little bit. But I do think, more, as I said at the beginning, more as meter. Keris is winding down. As Mita is winding up in terms of careers, let's utilise that and let's she can play well as Mita. And uh, again, uh, a plea from us: please, as Mita, stay. We want you to stay. We want you to be part of our future um, at Spurs Women because we know that you can be. And I think, I mean, hopefully, she is feeling the love from the team and the club behind the scenes because they do all seem to be very close. And you know, it, I do think that's something that Spurs seem to do well. So hopefully, that's not an, a worry for her, but. Yeah, and especially when, like, it would be one thing if Karis was just, like, starting every game and, like, we were bringing Ismita on for a few minutes. That would be one thing. Or if she was getting minutes elsewhere. But the fact of the matter is, we've had, like, we had a, a week with two games in it, and Karis started both of them, and she didn't look great in the second one. And so you just have to wonder, when when is it going to be time? But I think you're right to point out about the camaraderie behind the scenes because one thing I've noticed over these last few months is like no matter how bad the vibes seem to be getting on Twitter or like on the outside amongst the fans they still seem to be good within the club and that is something that makes me hopeful and full of belief that things will turn around. I guess the other thing to add about Esmita is that she is a regular for the under 23 Lioness squads and Spurs is a club that has been really looking to try and get Lionesses and it may actually be one of its best bets is to work really hard to maintain Asmita as well as Jessica Naz, who also quite often gets game time for the Lionesses rather than necessarily buying in more senior players who it's going to be harder for the club to attract at the moment. So again, there's some really good strategic reasons for the club to invest in Asmita as well as the on-field ones. And so I like all the rest of you, I hope that all of that is going on behind the scenes. I hope there is a reason that she's not playing and it's not, I mean, I don't want there to be a reason. I don't want her to be injured, but I also don't want her to just having been left out for no good reason, seeing how well she has played previously. Okay, moving on from that game, there's a few, well, still talking about the game, but thinking about it more broadly, there was a few controversies that came out of it. So I'm going to call this little section Controversy Corner, and I want some quick opinions. So the first thing is Amy Turner liked on Twitter a WSL tweet showing Leah Galton's goal against us. What are your opinions about a player liking a goal scored against them maybe it would bother me more if there was a perception that amy had thrown the result for spurs but i i actually thought this was one of amy's best games this season you know i thought she put in a really good shift so i i personally don't have a problem with her supporting one of her friends former teammates it's it's not a huge deal in my eyes yeah, and I mean, it happens all the time. I still remember when um, when we lost to Reading, Ellie Brazil's partner, Emma Harry's captain to Reading that day. And, you know, she on Instagram posted messages like full of congratulations. We see players, our players, congratulating their Chelsea or Arsenal friends doing well often. Usually it's not against us, I will say that. Uh, it's just something that happens and it grinds my gears a little bit, but you kind of have to be like, yeah, this is actually just different and it's probably fine, but also maybe hire a PR person. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you don't love to see it, but it's not something that, that winds me up too much, you know, 
as you say, the the, the world of women's football is small. They, they all know each other. They're all friends across teams. And for 90 minutes, you're not friends. But once the whistle blows again, you're friends again, aren't you? So. Okay, I think I've got a stronger opinion than you. I definitely, I do not want to see any Spurs player liking another team scoring against us. They can say afterwards that some specific player had a good game. That is true. I can say that Leah Galton had a good game. She did have a good game. I like her as a player. I am not going to like any time she scores against Spurs. That's a that's my line. So controversy number two then. Um, so we got to the stadium and we walked in. It was all lovely. Lots of activities for kids and all of that. But within the stadium, there were shirts on sale, which all said Kane or Son. No women's players' names were displayed. They were not displayed in the shop in any visible way. So it was this whole, let's get this. This is going to be a big game. But there was nothing there visibly about the women's team. Thoughts? It's just a huge missed opportunity, isn't it? I mean, um, it's it feels like a case of the club not living up to this sort of one club ethos. And it's it's so disappointing that all of the, you know, if, they, if they're going to market this game towards bringing kids into the fan base, you know, they got to witness this exceptional goal from Beth England and they can't turn around and get a shirt with her name on it to proudly say, hey, this is my new favorite player that I just saw at this game. It's it's a missed opportunity for me. I think the whole the whole thing was a missed opportunity in many, many ways. Uh, for me, the biggest the biggest thing was they, I didn't even hear the stadium announcer at the end of the game saying, and our next game will be at Brisbane Road against this, which usually you get. And I didn't hear, and maybe I missed that, but I didn't hear that. And I would have thought, have your people who've been standing around selling programmes at the beginning of the game, at the end of the game, handing out flyers saying, come to Brisbane Road, this is where we play, this is our next game. I didn't see any of that. So for me, the whole thing was a huge missed opportunity. Yes, great to get into the stadium and great to get lots of people there. But what are you doing about the fact that we get 100 people coming to a, an Everton game on a uh, on an evening or less than 2,000 people coming to a game on a Sunday afternoon. What are you doing about that? Because that's what you need to be doing something about. Um, Yeah, shirts with players' names on. You, you don't have to have many. You just have to have a couple around the place. And let's face it, they get so many shirts that it doesn't matter if they end up binning a few. It's not the end of the world, is it? And I'm sure that, you know, or even just to have like, you know, that you can go and get them from the shop. Because yes, the merchandise stalls within the within the ground are quite small, and they've only you know you're not going to have every player and every size, but a little something more just to make it feel like the club is embracing the women as an entirety and not just a on the days they play at the stadium. Yeah, and it's like it's been going on for years. I remember when we signed Alex Morgan. I was on my phone. I was driving into the mountains. I parked my car and went online to try to buy an Alex Morgan shirt and they didn't have them and they didn't have them for like a day or two like a while like until they realized that people wanted to buy them and it's like if you're gonna be like signing players like Alex Morgan and Beth England you need to you need to take advantage of that and if you're gonna be putting your money and your spirit behind a team and saying they're gonna maybe compete for Champions League spots now obviously we know that didn't happen you need to follow through on socials and you can't just expect a fan base to grow out of nothing it's not like popularity in women's football is growing in England for no reason it's not it like it's growing because people are working really hard to promote it and we need to work really hard to promote it. And sometimes I feel like we do more as a podcast than the club does. And that is a shitty feeling because we don't get paid. Amen. <laughs> but you're right. It's it's that they need to be, one, 
anticipating the demand that's already there in terms of the existing fan base, you know, wanting to show support for these players through things like shirt sales and two, actively trying to grow the fan base. I feel like we just don't, there's not a sense that that's happening. It's kind of just like they're, they're happy with where we're at. And I I think it kind of is reflected. And I know this was going to be your next question, Rachel, but the fact that we had, I think it was 21,000 attendance for this game, which I will admit our stadium is one of the biggest ones in the Premier League. So it's going to look emptier, even if it's like if, if we had had the same attendance rate that some of the teams like Arsenal and United have had at their main stadiums, it's, it's going to look smaller automatically. That's a reality. But we're not even meeting that level. And our men's team is a top six club. It's it's just frustrating that we're not at that same kind of level of enthusiasm. I think there hasn't been as much crossover between fans of our men's team and fans of our women's team. And it's just disappointing. I don't know any other way to phrase it. Like it, it bums me out. And I'm glad to hear that the, the presence at the stadium this weekend felt really lively and exciting for people who were there. That's what I've heard from some people. But I can just say that as someone watching on the TV, it didn't have the same atmosphere as, for example, the game we played at the Emirates earlier this season against Arsenal when they had, you know, practically a sellout. So it's just disappointing. <laughs> so I think the crowd side was pretty much the same as Chelsea had at Stamford Bridge when we played them, which also felt part empty. Um, and so the club said that they'd sold about 30,000. I think that probably is true. Initial sales obviously were in August because the game was meant to happen in September. What happened then is that at the point at which the game got rearranged, which is quite a long time later, people with tickets were told that you could get a refund or you could keep your ticket and use them for this game. My guess is some people missed that email. Some people were waiting to see whether they could make it. Some people thought, oh, the process of getting a refund isn't worth it because it's not that expensive for each ticket. That All of those different things came into play. They then released new tickets, which they and they were opening area by area. The crazy thing was that within a in the last few days leading up to the game, it looked like you could only buy single tickets in the South Stand. So you couldn't actually buy tickets to sit with anybody. And on the day of the game, I had to go and deal with something at the ticket office. And there were people in front of me trying to buy tickets who were being turned away because they said it was sold out. And obviously they weren't saying the entire stadium was sold out, but they were saying the areas that they had opened were sold out and they decided not to open other areas because perhaps it was too close to the game. They didn't think the demand was there, whatever. But obviously those areas were clearly not sold out. There were masses of gaps all around the stadium, which was the product of the moved game, all of those other issues. And so it was obvious that there were even people around the stadium on the day of the game who wanted to see it who weren't getting in as well as the people who maybe looked online and thought they could only sit away from their friends and didn't buy tickets in the last week and that just seems again really frustrating as well as all of the other issues around it I think 20,000 22,000 whatever it was they said 21 something it's a decent turnout it was more than we got for any of our games last season obviously they did more promotion and Manchester United is a bigger opponent than playing either Leicester or Birmingham, which we did last year. But but do you not- feel like they built up the proper amount of hype around this specific fixture? You know, this being a team that we, we've had, I would say, a sort of rivalry with because we came up at the same time. And now, you know, this is a team that's top of the table. 
I, I felt like the marketing in this game was more geared towards, you know, a day of family fun. And I feel like the football kind of got left behind in that message. Yeah. And well, to just go back a bit, because I, I think this this my whole issue with the situation started back in August. Do you remember what we were saying at the time? It was like we were coming off of England winning the Euros and watching every team in the WSL and in the championship and in lower league size promote their players, do tons of work on social, congratulate the England squad. And for Spurs, it was radio silence. And then every team was like promoting their first game at the men's stadium and how it was going to be a huge crowd. And Spurs were like opening a few seats here. People couldn't get tickets. It was like mostly United fans. It was like a mess then before the game even got moved. It was like, this was a mess from start to finish. And I'll let you guys talk more about the question Caroline asked about the the recent goings on, but this has been a problem going from the moment this game was announced to be at the stadium and from the moment Spurs didn't capitalize enough on socials of the Euro. I think it's both that they over-promoted this game and under-resourced the management of the game at the same time. So there has been, this game has been the focus. Like you said, in the summer, this was actually the focus on social media. This game was advertised way more than season tickets, way more than the first game at the first home game at the new stadium, way more than probably all the other games put together. I was getting text countdowns on my phone from the club, you know, in the days leading up to the game, you know, five days to go, four days to go, things like that, which I haven't had for like the start, what ended up being the start of the season. I haven't had for any other game. And for us, you know, this game is no more or less important in terms of the season as a football club than the game that was rapidly rearranged for Everton, which we, you know, like the absolute worst game with terrible planning, etc. At the same time, you can understand, okay, we're going to make a big thing of it. And we think that the way to market the game is to get all these people in who really don't know much about women's football, but support Spurs. And, you know, Manchester United is a big team. They may not know even how good or how bad Manchester United are in women's football, but it's a big team. So they might come to see it and they want to come and see the stadium. But if that's your market, then it's got to be all about how you follow through. It's always got to be about, A, making it easy to get the tickets, not all the snafus that I've talked about, that Abby, you talked about, and then making it really obvious how they get their next ticket to Brisbane Road, getting people to to do the interviews at halftime, to talk at the end about the team more generally, to just try and make that sort of connection to the squad better. Um, So yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity and it's been badly handled. I would just say, obviously, as someone who's kind of from the outside looking in, because I'm not over there in England, I can't attend games week in, week out. The perception I have is that the teams who are getting the most consistent attendances, and even if you want to look at United, who are very well known for having a strong away following, I I think they've been successful because they've done a better job of marketing the players on their team and having more of a focus on the actual football rather than treating these games as like one-off entertainment events, which they are. We all know that's what sport is. But I just think if you're going to be focusing on growing your fan base and sustaining it long-term, there has to be excitement around the actual fixtures in a sporting sense. Do you know what I mean? I do, I guess. And this is going to move us on to our next thing. It's perhaps harder to focus on the football when you're having a bad run. So, um, Which I, I feel you on that. Yep. Give them credit for that. So I want to move from talking about that stuff to talking about, our, I'm going to call it our panicometer. So like how panicked are we? And just thinking about where Spurs are right now 
and where we are going to be uh, by the end of the season. We're at the moment three points from relegation. Leicester did well. They won and another game. So, you know, it's getting closer. And our next WSL game is Man City, followed by Liverpool, Arsenal and Everton. Then we're going to have an Easter break. And after Easter, we then play Aston Villa, Brighton, Manchester United, Reading and West Ham. We've still got that Leicester game to be rearranged that was postponed because of a frozen pitch. So I want us to think about maybe these in two blocks of games and specifically about that first block, the Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Everton run, which is really our next set of games after the international break. What's the minimum number of points that we can get in that period without feeling like it's properly time to panic? I would say six for that first block of games. I think we have to beat Liverpool. We have to beat Everton. I'm I'm just thinking purely in the sense of like not getting dragged into the relegation battle. I think, you know, Leicester are going to struggle to pick up that many points in that similar stretch of games. I know they don't have the exact same schedule, but I think you get my point. Like if we can pick up those points, those are points that they would not be picking up. Yeah, I think for me, it's three because we only need to be better than one of them. And Leicester has United, Leicester has Everton, I think. They also have the same number of games played as we do. Similarly, Brighton have Chelsea and City next. And then after that, they have Reading and United. And so it's like similarly challenging schedules from both teams. I think if either of them gets points from those games against the big teams, then six. But I don't really see that happening. I think we only need three and but but that's how many we need before we we will be concerned. That is not how many I think we'll get. I think we'll get more than that. See, I feel like maybe we need four with that extra point coming in either the Everton game or one of the games against Man City. Or this is where I'm being really hopeful. Arsenal, who ho- hopefully continue to be unable to score just that extra little bit of safety. And feeling like that we're not losing so many games because one of the things we really need to do is stop losing. I'll take yeah, that. Yeah, a draw I would be huge. Four as well. I almost said four as well. So I would, I would take, I think, something like that. Yeah, we also have to think about the fact that since we still have the Leicester game to be arra- rearranged, that's essentially a six-pointer. So it's like our fate, it feels like our fate is in our hands. So I'm not in full-on panic station mode yet. <laughs> okay, but if we have less than four maybe less than three we are panicking at that point and it will be a very panic-ridden pod and I guess since we're thinking that Liverpool is the most likely of those to get points that's the game that in some ways is going to be the kind of critical game of the season people agreed on that yeah I think think Liverpool have just been kind of a wild card this season you never really know what Liverpool team is going to come out they've had some really plucky results but they've also had some that I think their own fans would admit have been really disappointing considering the uh they do have some some decent players in their squad so yeah that one's kind of the question mark for me I think so as well and like they don't have the best schedule either they have Arsenal us Everton and then West Ham it's not the worst but it's also especially for a wild card team that seems to be out here just having whatever result the roll of the die says you know like losing six nothing to United losing to Leicester City but beating Reading and getting these odd results all the time Okay, so we, we've had a few listener questions, but we're running long because there was so much to talk about in that Manchester United game that we will hold on to those until our next podcast. 
until then, let's talk about the next game, which isn't going to be this coming Sunday. It's going to be the Sunday after because we've got a break in the WSL. And so in two weeks time, we face Reading. By the end of this season, we are going to have played Reading four times in competitive games. The two games so far have both been away at Reading. We won the first in the Conti Cup 2-1 with goals from Ash and Nikki and a late penalty then from Natasha Dowie for Reading. But they won the rematch in the WSL 1-0 with a horror own goal from Amy Turner deciding that one. The good news is the next two, uh, including the upcoming one, we are going to be at home. And the first is on Sunday. It's an FA Cup fifth round tie with a WSL rematch coming later in May. Just one from you guys now. I want a score prediction, a name of any scorers for Spurs, and if you have them, a surprisingly prescient prediction. So something that we are going to afterwards be like, oh, that was surprisingly prescient. Well done. Oh, I don't know how prescient I'm feeling today. I think score prediction... I I'm feeling pretty confident about this match just with the way our performances have been trending, particularly against teams that are of much higher quality than Reading. No offense to them. So I'm going to say we can keep a clean sheet in this game and I think we're going to score quite a bit. So I'll go with a three nil. I think Ash is going to get back onto the score sheet because she has been playing very well. I think Beth England will continue her scoring streak. And let's say that Celine is going to get on the score sheet. Maybe that's my my prescient prediction that she's going to going to score a goal. Oh, Celine's first WSL goal like it i'm not sure if that counts yeah it's not that surprisingly prescient but we'll take it it's okay i'm not gonna insist abby i think we're gonna win three nil i think beth is gonna get a brace and i think the third goal uh gosh it's gonna be someone weird i think we're gonna come away from this game wondering why we were even so worried in the first place that's my prescient prediction (laughs) What else am I what else am I supposed to say? <laughs> I think that's it. You've done it. Yes. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna go optimistic. Well, I feel like we're gonna concede, but I also feel like it's gonna be goals. And I was also thinking maybe Beth to score two. And I was torn between Ash and Drew. I feel like one of them. And I want Nikki to score one because if she scores, it means she's on the pitch, and I really want her to be on the pitch. So I'm gonna predict she's scoring one just to get her on the pitch. My surprisingly, I should have thought about this better since I came up with it. (laughs) But I think my surprisingly prescient prediction is that that we're going to go to a back four from the start and as meter is going to start. That's my, yeah. God, I hope so. (laughs) So what's your score prediction, Rachel? Sorry, 4-1. Okay. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think we're gonna. I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go confident on our scoring, but not quite on the clean sheet. Okay, I'm just annoyed because last time I said we set, should have beat Reading, and a Reading fan <laughs> quote tweeted me saying that and was like, "Ha ha! Like, look at these idiots! Like, it's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> we should have beat Reading. I don't know. Like, we didn't know. We were just having a bad streak. Anyway, that, was, that was a massive it. underperformance. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, this season they have scored a penalty and and they've got an own goal against us. So they literally have not scored against us from open play. So we should be able to beat Reading. Very good. Hopefully, point. no own goals, no 
penalties, etc. But yeah, and well, they and they haven't strengthened massively. They are one of the teams that had a quieter window, and I think they might at some point also be looking downwards towards the relegation battle. So this is a game we really should be winning. Hopefully, we are winning it, and we will come back in two weeks to talk happily about how we did that. But for today, that is the end. We have been N17 Women. You can subscribe, find us on all of your podcast platforms of choice. If you like it, do give us a review because it helps other people to find us and come on you Spurs. Mm-hmm.